Du lyssnar på poddversionen av ett program från Studentradion 98,9. Alla våra program hittar du på studentradion.com eller där poddar finns. Av upphovsrättsliga skäl är musiken förkortad. Utrikespolitik. Det är inga pajaskonster. Det är inte hehe och hehe. Good evening. You're listening to Radio UF at Studentradion 98,9. With me tonight, I have Laura. Hello. Meaning it's the first trustee episode. Yes. We, we also have our wonderful boss, Sarah, doing the technical stuff tonight because uh, we trustees, ironically, cannot be trusted. <laughs> yeah, and uh, speaking of not uh, being trusted, with we also have an expert here in the studio. With us is uh, Jakob. Very Hi. welcome. Hey. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, What do you do, Jakob? Well, I'm a postdoctoral researcher in Germany at Leuphana University, and I'm visiting scholar here at the Department of Government in Uppsala. So I primarily focus on party politics, the research on populism, nativism, and the reaction of mainstream parties. And today I will talk a bit more about the foreign policy. <laughs> nice. Yeah, Gilbert, what do you do? Uh, what I do, uh, I study statistics uh, and I study national economics a bit as well, uh, one thing at a time. <laughs> okay, nice. But still, so Jakob already said we will talk about foreign policy and more specifically about the German foreign policy, which we will talk about a little bit more after the music break. And that was Feel Good with Yacht Club. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, so, Jakob, anyways, could you just give our listeners like a brief introduction to German foreign politics? Like what, what is like the actual guidelines? Yes, of course. Uh, I think, I mean, following also the academic debate, uh, the last decades of German foreign policy were characterized by military restraint. I mean, Germany started to world wars, there was kind of the will to, to regain confidence from the international community. And this strategy or this principle to not engage in, in too much into military actions was accompanied by the principle which is often called like uh, change uh, through trade, change through rapprochement, uh, through economic uh, cooperation and diplomacy. And the logic behind this was that even in relation to authoritarian regimes, to uh, more aggressive states like we see now with, with Russia, that these states could be moderated or tamed by offering them incentives to collaborate right, on specific issues, to, um, to put diplomacy before all other uh, efforts. And um, this uh, strategy is quite stable, so it characterizes Germany 
more or less with some deviations uh, since the the end of World War II up up to today, right? Despite very momentous events like the the collapse of the Soviet Union, it remained rather more or less stable, right? And we can talk later a bit more about changes, but I think this is the the, the principal approach. And of course, there have been from from the academic community, especially uh, criticisms regarding this. So. Uh, one one is that there is this this vague strategy of military restraint of, of diplomacy, but it's very vague, right? It's not quite quite clear what the ambitions of Germany are, is actually, right? So, what is the aim of of the German foreign policy? And there is no definition of of clear aims. Of course, if you look at the website, you see these pillars, but it's rather very vague. Right? We don't know, for example, what what why Germany launched the or participated in Afghanistan, right? Why there was this, the abstention in 2011 uh, regarding the, the war in, in Libya, for example. Why Germany is so hesitant to deliver heavy weapons to Ukraine, right? This, whatever you think about these decisions, it's, it's quite not clear why they did that. Where's the explanation, the justification? And I think this is um, one of the major criticisms um, that, that Germany is facing. Um, and I mean, we have like several uh, critical aspects. Also, this this diplomacy approach is sometimes um, strongly uh, criticized because it 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 kind of is sometimes considered a bit being a bit naive. This conference diplomacy, getting everyone on the table, and uh, we think that this solves the problems, and that military options are not even put on the table. Um, in relation to aggressive countries. So um, that could be maybe a brief introduction to, to the, the for foreign policy agenda in the last years. Well, that was super interesting. I think that deciding on what a nation actually wants through its actions is like a very appropriate way of looking at the subject. Uh, I think it's like, a, it's a very productive way of actually examining country by country. Oh, tell me. Good evening. You're listening to Radio UF at Studentradion 98.9. And that was So Tell Me but Nia Archives. Yes, in our first slot we talked about a little bit about what German foreign policy is and Jakob summarized it in my opinion quite well. He talked about the military restraint that is often discussed when it comes to German foreign policy, the change through trade. But as he already proposed the question, what does that actually mean? We also have the very popular pillars, I think, in German foreign policy called never again, never alone and politics before force, kind of these uh, three pillars that we have in Germany. But what do they actually mean? And in terms of new age and maybe also a new definition of these pillars, we had a German election last year, 2021, um, with some changes with a traffic light coalition, as we call them in Germany. Jakob, what do you think about the last German election? Well, I mean, in terms of, of foreign policy agenda, I, I wouldn't say there have been fundamental changes. So, of course, there has been some new um, um, focus on the, the feminist foreign policy because uh, it's like the, the Greens, the, the Liberals and the center-left party are part of the government. And um, for those who don't know that, and we now have a Green Minister of, um, of Foreign Affairs. So... Um, she brought the idea of a feminist foreign policy, right? And this is uh, considered as something new, right? If we talk about what, what changed now with this government. But she always faced 
several criticisms because uh, although this is a quite quite an, a nice label, right? Um, she was kind of very hesitant to condemn the Iranian regime, for example, for protests, for how to handle how to handle them. Although this would be a perfect example of implementing a, for, a feminist foreign policy, right? So uh, this was also kind of still. I mean, it's 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 kind of a label, but it's not quite clear what it means. And this is kind of a, a characteristic of the whole foreign policy approach from uh, recent federal governments. So. Um, we still kind of struggle what it means. And of course, the, the recent government emphasizes right, human rights and of course, climate protection right, in, 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 foreign, uh, in foreign affairs. So, um, um, I, I mean, fair enough. We, we, it's, it's one year since the election, a bit more. And um, the, the coalition agreement actually didn't emphasize that much on foreign policy, right? You find that the chapter for defense and foreign foreign affairs uh, at the end of the coalition agreement. So it's not that it is a particularly salient issue for the coalition. Um, but still, um, all the all the uh, agreements and the whole strategy was kind of uh, questioned now after the war of Russia and Ukraine. And this, uh, I mean, put significant challenges to the coalition and also tensions within the parties and between the coalition parties. And uh, this especially affects the, the center-left, the Social Democrats, which uh, are quite, uh, I mean, struggling with finding a new way uh, to deal with Russia, to deal with this conflict, because the, the strategy so far was um, we'd have to talk to Russia, we have to uh, remain um, in contact, have uh, communication channels, even to have economic uh, cooperation, right? To We have to include Russia into the European security policies some, in some way, right? We cannot ignore them. And uh, this strategy kind of failed. And this uh, is something uh, the social democrats are struggling now. Because it's very difficult for them to acknowledge that their their foreign policy strategy, which also was kind of the strategy of the recent governments, um, have failed, and that they need to acknowledge uh, that there is a need for a new strategy, and this is why um, this party is particularly affected by this tension, and why the German government is very hesitant to deliver weapons. I think it's not because of the Greens or the Liberals, because they are, interestingly enough very kind of unified in their will to provide support for Ukraine, for example. Uh, it's rather center-left, which kind of doubts that, or at least thinks that there should be limits, right? That further military support may also uh, escalate the scene, right? Escalate the war. Thank you very much for already addressing what the outbreak of war in Ukraine might mean for the German foreign policy. We will talk about it after the music break. Welcome back to Radio UF at Studentradio 98.9. That song was Die For You by Joji. So, Jakob, uh, could you just explain a bit furthermore into detail how mainly the conflict in Ukraine has affected German foreign policy? Yes, uh, I think this has been probably the most crucial event or with the, with the most crucial impact on German foreign policy in the last decades. 
maybe I should just talk again a bit about the general strategy of Germany, right? The, the military restraint strategy, not engaging into military conflicts to, I mean, diplomacy, change through trade. This has always been especially the, the strategy towards Russia, right? To remain in contact. And this, of course, is now, this strategy collapsed, right? It's not that um, the, the government itself questioned it before the war. It, it was like a strategy for the last decades. But since Russia attacked Ukraine, there was a few days uh, afterwards this, this speech uh, from Chancellor Scholz about the Zeitenwende, right? I'm not quite sure, maybe turning point is the best translation I have in mind. And this, I think, um, has especially three pillars which are changing the foreign foreign policy agenda of Germany towards Russia. So I'm not quite sure if it's a general change in the, in the strategy towards other totalitarian regimes and towards international relations as such, but it's exactly it is uh, a fundamental change in the relation with Russia. So first, Germany delivers weapons, also heavy weapons to Ukraine. So this is, I mean, doesn't sound very astonishing because most, many countries are, but for the, the German uh, strategic approach, it is something new, like delivering weapons into to a country that is actively participating in a military conflict. This has been a taboo so far, at least on paper. Um, of course, Ukraine is only defending itself, but still for, for the German uh, principles, it is something new, right? So this is kind of the first thing that is new. Although there are, of course, very a lot of hesitations towards this approach also within the government. Second, there are unprecedented sanctions against Russia. So there have been before many sanctions against Russia, but they uh, were not that far-reaching. And more importantly, now Germany admit that it was a failure to kind of cooperate with Russia to this extent, like considering Nord Stream 2, for example. And they formulated the, the, the will to become independent from Russian energy supply. So um, this, again, doesn't seem very surprising considering the war, but it is kind of against the, the, the dominating strategy of foreign policy in Germany to always remain in contact with, with other countries and to have these channels of economic cooperation. So they try to become independent from Russian energy supply and to actually cut the ties with Russia. And this is the second thing that, that is definitely new. And last, this probably affects more domestic politics, is the uh, the special budget for uh, the German armed forces of 100 billion euros. So it's an extra budget, which um, is, um, I mean, th there actually wa wasn't that much uh, um, criticisms, not even from, from the center-right opposition about that. Uh, but still it is new, right? So, so far, the, the German forces, armed forces, were... Um, honestly speaking, in a disastrous condition, right? So these 100 billion euros are not considered of making a big army uh, out of uh, the German military, but to provide the basics, right, the necessary equipment. But still, this is something new, right? 100 billion euros for the armed forces is uh, something extraordinary and uh, also uh, a consequence of the war. So I think these are the three main pillars that... Uh, now are added to the to the German uh, foreign policy agenda. Thank you so much, Jakob. Uh, we'll be right back after this song. That was Boys Don't Cry with Boys and Ivy. 
And we will continue now. Jakob already talked about the Zeitenwende, the turnover, so to say, in English. And uh, I just wanted to quickly talk about what maybe other countries might expect since I received the news about the Zeitenwende while sitting in Estonia. Pretty interesting, actually. So I'm studying in Estonia, by the way, and um, I heard about the news about Scholz um, announcing the Zeitenwende, and I watched the YouTube video. Of course, um, I didn't. I didn't catch the live stream, unfortunately, but at least I watched it on YouTube. And then on the next day, I came to university, and since I study international relations, uh, everyone else also follows the news mostly. And so, uh, as a German coming to the classroom after such a news, uh, such news was really interesting. They were like, "Yeah, now it's happening," and and they had many expectations, and that is exactly what I wanted to address. This kind of um, hope now that with the Zeitenwende and and with uh, Scholz's announcement of of these kinds of um, strategies to invest in military and to give weapons to third countries and conflict zones and so on and so forth. Um, what what does that mean and, and how other countries receive that? Um, for Estonia, for example, there was um, before that there was this incident that um, Estonia asked Germany for Germany made weapons to send to Ukraine. And uh, the German answer was no, because they still had the policy of politics before force and no um, and military restraint. And so this changed with the Zeitenwende and Estonia was really happy. So the receive was, of course, you know, really positive. But um, in general, um, many countries and, and I talk about the Baltic states and the atmosphere there, what I witnessed personally um, was um, very high, like um, the euphoria was really high in terms of that Germany will also take on a leading role in Europe in general. But then there comes the German feedback, for example, where they are like, we do the Zeitenwende, but we do it in our own terms. And we can't do a 180 degree turnover right now. We can't change everything. So that's interesting, kind of what are the expectations of other countries and what is actually possible for Germany right now to do? And what does that mean? Um, Jakob, what, what do you think about that? Yes, I think the expectations are high. Um, and as I've said before I, I don't I'm, I'm just not sure right what what are the implication of this Zeitenwende so far within the academic community there is a big skepticism of course this there have been fundamental changes right uh, military armament uh, investments into the armed forces uh, delivery of, of weapons to Ukraine but still Germany is very hesitant to do that and I doubt or I, I kind of fear that this kind of Zeitenwende only affects the, the relations with Russia to become independent from Russia because there is just no other way out. But I'm not quite sure if that means uh, a turnover of the general foreign policy approach to become more engaged in, in international issues, to become more independent also from China, from, from, um, from other uh, authoritarian regimes, right? So, um, I mean, this, this has been the the, the, the kind of the, the statements from from the foreign ministers and from from the government to emphasize human rights to um, to also openly reject uh, human rights violations of other countries but if, if we look like at the at the uh, developments in Iran Germany have been very hesitant uh, and also regarding Ukraine it's not that Germany is is, is kind of uh, 
very determined to uh, to end this war by providing Ukraine massive military support. So it's also a matter, and that's maybe the point, not only of the path dependency of foreign policy in Germany, but also of, of public uh, opinion, because it's it's very weird, uh, like perceived as a German, that the country is ag engaging again in military armament and delivery of weapons and engaging in, in military conflicts. So it is very difficult to to change this this uh, strategy of military restraint. Thank you so much for that, Jacob. We'll be back after this next song. Welcome back to the show. You're listening to Radio UF at Studentradio 98.9. And that was Dirt with Y2K and JPEG Mafia. Yes, and we talked about what the Zeitenwende actually might mean. And Jakob mentioned already that he is not sure if the Zeitenwende means a general 180 degree turnover or is it just in regards to Russia. And I just wanted to make a quick um, addition to that because I think it's it's interesting and also important always to think critically about certain events and uh, developments. So there was this um, West Asia tour that Olaf Scholz, our chancellor, did in, in Saudi Arabia, Qatar and United Arab Emirates, for example. And it was about energy supplies because we are in an, in an energy crisis. But um, there's also criticism to this, this kind of like um, approach of Germany putting economy over um, certain other values, for example. Well, like there is this meme that I sent Gilbert in preparation of this podcast. And it's it's an interesting one. And I think it, it highlights this point, which I'm trying to, to make here. So this one picture is uh, Olaf Scholz shaking the hand of the president from Qatar because they met and talked about energy supplies. And then below that is uh, the picture of the German football team participating in the World Cup right now and covering their mouths because of the human rights violations right now in the country happening. And, you know, it kind of shows this, this, or it shows that one should have a critical approach to this Zeitenwende, what it actually might mean and to what extent it might develop. Talking about also public opinion, because the meme, I think, is also something that shows the public opinion. Jakob, can you talk about domestic politics, how the Zeitenwende was received within Germany, for example? I mean, I think there are, there are different dimensions. So there is a public dimension. So I think there is, I mean, regarding the, the one pillar of support for Ukraine, especially military support, I think there is still um, a majority, at least according to the, to the recent polls, which support uh, military support right, uh, to Ukraine. But the majority does not uh, speak out in favor of uh, increasing this military support, right? So there are actually limits. And there is also the, the, the situation that the majority of the Germans still uh, demand uh, more diplomatic initiatives to negotiate with Russia, right? So this is still very present. Nevertheless, I think the public is still uh, in favor of, of, of helping Ukraine, stands with Ukraine. Um, but what is pretty interesting is, of course, how, how the parties behave, right? How the... Uh, the within the government and uh, from the opposition. Um, so uh, I talked about the SPD, right? I think from within the government there are tensions as well. But of course, those parties being most skeptical towards the Zeitenwende, towards especially um, sanctions against Russia and military aid to Ukraine, are uh, is the populist radical right party AFD and to some extent the left parties. Um, this um, regarding the AFD. There are very close personal links between several politicians and Russia. Uh, they have been invited to electoral 
as electoral observers, for example, and they are populist, nativist, authoritarian. So they see, um, or at least some of their voters and uh, MPs see Russia as alternative model, as authoritarian, uh, conservative model, which uh, is an alternative to the, the liberal cosmopolitan West, right, which threatens national sovereignty and traditional values. And I think this is the explanation why the AFD is so critical towards NATO, towards the West, and uh, so uh, close to Russia, because it provides some alternative. And if, it is, of course, kind of, um, to some extent, sponsored, uh, polemically speaking, by, by Russia. Okay, thank you so much, Jakob. We'll be right back. And that was Epilogue by Dead People. Welcome back to the show. You're listening to Radio UF at Studentradio 98,9, where we were having a very interesting discussion about German party politics. Uh, now, Jakob, could you go into some more specifics? Well, I think we talked about, like, those parties most uh, hostile towards uh, this, this Zeitenwende approach, right, um, which contains um, several aspects like military armament, uh, sanctions against Russia, like cutting the ties between Russia and Germany and, of course, uh, military support for Ukraine. And I think the, the, the aspects which were most uh, discussed uh, and most contested are especially uh, the relationship with Russia and the military support for Ukraine, at least in party politics. And there are especially two parties who have been uh, opponents of uh, this strategy to a different extent, the AFD, as I said, right? So they generally reject uh, sanctions against Russia um, with the idea we need to have diplomatic uh, relations with Russia um, of course, based on the ideological closeness, right, it's a populist radical right party emphasizing traditional authoritarian values. So, uh, And there are also personal ties between the AFD and Russia. And then we have the left party, Die Linke, which um, has quite similar, slightly different positions due to other reasons. It is a left party. It is, has anti-imperialist roots, uh, anti-capitalist orientation, and sees the West, or at least it saw the West uh, for a long time as, of course, an imperialist force, um, including NATO, of course, and which considered Russia as acting uh, in self-defense, right? It's just defending itself against, against the uh, ex expansion of NATO to Eastern Europe, for example. And uh, we can see clearly that in, in the manifestos of the left party, for example, there are demands to withdraw from NATO uh, for a collective security system uh, in Europe with Russia, right? Um, and, I mean, to be fair, even the left party kind of changed their positions and their discourses on uh, on Russia after the war. There was a statement communicated by the leaders who clearly uh, said that we stand with Ukraine, we, we will support Ukraine, we condemn Russia, we were wrong, right? There was kind of a self-reflective moment. But on the other hand, there are uh, quite uh, populist branches within the party who are still uh, hesitant to condemn Russia, right? I think this is uh, the, the the two parties, are AFD and Die Linke, who are very hesitant to... Uh, um, accept sanctions against Russia for different reasons. Uh, but I have to say that this is also a fundamental change in, in foreign policy in Germany, that these issues are now becoming so important and structure party competition. Because after the war in Ukraine, I mean, foreign policy always have been an issue, right? It's not that it have been ignored, but it never structured 
political campaigns to such an extent, right? If you, as I said, if you look into the uh, coalition agreement between the three governing parties, the chapter where we we find these positions on foreign policy are is one of the last ones. So it's 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 not just it, it's not the most important issue, and this is changing now, obviously, and. Um, we will see where this ends. So, as I said, I'm not quite sure if uh, when one day the war will end, Germany will have a totally different approach to foreign policy or whether it remains pragmatic, cooperating with authoritarian regimes uh, for due to national interests, right, whatever they are, and whether they become more communicative in, in saying what their uh, ambitions are, actually. It's super interesting seeing how foreign policy can become a domestic issue as well. We'll be right back with an outro after this next song. That was Veronica Andersson with Björn Olsson. Welcome back to the end of our show, where we've talked tonight about German, uh, both domestic and foreign politics, where we primarily be talking about uh, the pillars of German foreign policy changing since the war in Ukraine broke out. It is also the end of the trustee episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hope you liked it. <laughs> we worked very hard on it. Uh, and of course, we want to thank our amazing guest tonight, Jakob. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Yeah, uh, it's been great. Also, thank you to Sarah for doing the technical stuff. Since, if I may do the joke again, we can't be trusted. We cannot, as we cannot be trusted. <laughs> we simply cannot. Uh, we all wish you a, a fantastic evening. Uh, go eat some good dinner now or something. Alla våra program hittar du på studentradion.com eller där poddar finns. Och kom ihåg att lyssna fritt är stort, att lyssna rätt är större.